Good evening, folks, and welcome back to the Norwood Noise Podcast. It is our post-holiday episode, Wednesday, December 27th, um, and it is, of course, you know another beautiful evening here. Myself, Evan Schibble, alongside Graham Griffith on the Norwood Noise Podcast. We really don't have that much to discuss. It is kind of that weird holiday season with the way that the holidays kind of fell on the weekends this year. Um, basketball has it really officially has kind of gone quiet for almost a two-full-week cycle here. Um, we didn't have a ton to preview last weekend. Um, we'll get to the couple notable results that did happen. Uh, so there wasn't a ton that happened last weekend. And the, the schedule is really bleak for this upcoming week, weekend. Uh, and so it looks like it's going to be until really that first weekend in January before we get back rolling again. So we're here. We're doing a, a listener-driven episode we put out on the, uh, the socials to get some kind of feedback from you all, what you all want to hear about. Um, and so we'll get into all that, all those different topics, different questions, prompts, things like that. Um, some personal insight from us, some other just, you know, topics to consider, things to talk about, things to keep an eye on going forward here as we roll into conference season and the start of the new year here for college hoops. So obviously we'll get into all that. Um, but Graham, let's start with you. First of all, uh, how are the holidays in Columbus and how riveting is bowl season for you since there is no college basketball to watch? Um, yeah, I mean, the the break has been very nice. Um, be home, be with family, put the feet up a little bit. Um, but I, I will not commit to bowl season. Um, I gave up on it a long time ago. And it, I'm with you. It just continues to amaze me about how bad the names of these games are getting and how pointless games are becoming um, yes. as a... Now fringe Ohio State football fan, this game against Missouri is coming up. Um, I know that the quarterback has already transferred, Kyle McCord. He's going to Syracuse. Yep. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get drafted, so he probably won't even play, and I'll blame him. Because Maserati Marv! His, his quarterback isn't even playing, so I don't even know what to think of bowl games anymore. Um, I think it's a waste of time and money. Uh <clears throat> and I would love to meet anyone that's excited to watch the Tax Act Texas Bowl between Texas A&M. Is that what you got on right now in the background? Oklahoma State. Uh, sadly, yes. Well, there's nothing else to watch. Well, we I couldn't put on the Pat, Chicago State that game. that the Pat McAfee show. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't let me put on the Chicago State game, so I, I was forced to Chicago State Cal Baptist. It's a one. It's a one-point game. I know. I'm frustrated. We got to... We got a tight one down in Riverside. <laughs> Jeez. Anyways, okay. Well, let's let's move swiftly onward. 
Um, <clears throat> and I, Graham, I agree with you. Just one more note on the bowl games. This is coming from someone that just got absolutely jacked up about a, a Kansas uh, Jayhawks bowl game last night. Loved it. Loved the storylines for you know some of our guys that were kind of sending their careers off in the right way. Whatever. It's still just such a joke. Like it's not good stuff. So we can move on. The excuse me. The the names just get more and more ridiculous. Um, shout out to the Duke's Mail Bowl for maybe being the grossest thing I've ever seen. Um, I don't know why we continue to play in a multitude of baseball stadiums. Uh, the Jayhawks played in one last night down in Arizona. The Holiday Bowl, uh, which just wrapped up, is at Petco Park. We got the Fenway Bowl. We got the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. I mean, we just love playing oddly shaped football stadium type arena setups. I don't even know what to call it. Um, let's see what else we got tomorrow. We got. Um, oh, well, we got the Sun Bowl on, on Friday. That's always a good one. Love Tony the Tiger. Um, any other good names coming out of the stretch? The Relia Quest Bowl. Sure. Um, yeah, good stuff. Anyways, I'll stop rambling on. We got, we got more important matters to get to. Arguably, Graham, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, maybe the game of the year last Saturday? What do you think? FAU, Arizona, what, what were your biggest takeaways? Um... Biggest takeaway is that this game was too good to be uh, in Las Vegas. Yes. Oh, my God. Thank you for saying um, that. This would have been awesome to see happen at McHale or Arizona having to travel across the country to yeah. um, a mid-major. Ratmouth. Ratmouth. Boca Raton. Yeah. Um, well, hold on. A quick question before we get deeper into this. If this is at McHale, is it that close, though? Probably not. Yeah. But this is a Florida Atlantic team that, for the past uh, year and a half, has um, defied expectations. Yeah, and continued so, to so prove us wrong day in and day out. Yeah, the, the box score doesn't really show uh, how this game went. I mean, it looks mm. pretty messy for both teams. I thought that this was a great game, back and forth. Um, both teams like really going on runs that looked like one team had complete control of the game and was about to run away with it. And either Caleb Love or John L. Davis would hit like a big shot, and then the momentum would shift. I thought this was a great game. Um, Dude, those those two guys going up and back all game, just like dagger, dagger, dagger. I mean, it was so awesome to watch. Yeah, and how many games are you going to see in college basketball where both players on opposing teams are going to take 25-plus shots? I mean, that's almost right. unheard of in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was an all-timer. Uh, for those that missed it, 96-95 was the final in double overtime. Florida Atlantic gets a season-defying, maybe, honestly, not trying to be hyperbolic here, maybe a career-defining win for Dusty May, really. Um, absolutely awesome. John L. Davis led the Owls with 35, Caleb Love with 26 for Arizona, Omar Apollo with 21 rebounds. Huh? What? Um, awesome. Awesome stuff. Big shots back and forth. No real, like, true buzzer beaters or anything crazy, but just a, a solid, solid... Um, you know, uh, some some big daggers down the stretch. A really great game to be played in front of a riveting 38% capacity at 7,000, a mighty 7,000 there. 
in the arena in Vegas. So yeah, again, back to our original point of sad that it had to be played in Vegas, but at least we got something, and thank goodness we did, because otherwise last weekend would have been just absolutely miserable in college basketball otherwise. So good stuff. Good on those two coaches for making that happen uh, in a fun game nonetheless. Glad we got to see it, um, and probably one of my favorites of the year so far. So moving on now, this is kind of going to be the listener um, driven portion of the episode. Um, we've got a handful. What do we got? One, two, three, four, five. We got like six different questions, prompts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we're just going to roll through kind of rapid fire here. Um, and just good things to talk about, good things to keep your mind on um, as we roll into a, a fun conference season. So the first one is kind of kind of a two-parter. One, what do you think are, you know, Graham, this is um, obviously opposed to the both of us, but we'll start with you. What do you think are the some of the maybe more underrated home court advantages that don't get talked about enough? So I'm talking not the Allens, not the um, you know the Cameron indoors, um, not you know the, those kind of main the the main big ones um, that are obviously there and we all know about. What are kind of some quieter ones that that you've heard or you've seen in person that have been really impressive for you? And then also, what's kind of a short bucket list, maybe two three. Um, that you really would like to get to within, let's say, the next five or so years? Yeah. Um, the first one that I just went to recently, Mackey Arena, um, I was really amazed for how small it looks like on the inside because it's, you know, it's a perfect circle. Um, it, I was amazed at how many people they pack into the arena and how loud the entire arena is in unison with like the band and the student section. Like sometimes, especially um, at Cintas, like parts of the arena get loud and yeah. maybe the student section is doing a chant, but not the entire arena is into it. I thought it was really amazing that when the band would lead a chant or the student section would lead a chant at Mackey, that the entire arena would be into it. Um, and having the student section on both sides and multiple different sections, um, both high up and down low, was really um, something to see. In terms of uh, ones that I want to get to, um, Assembly Hall will always be uh, yeah. on my list. Um, it will be interesting to see how Indiana could fare in Big Ten play. I mean, last year was really their year to really accomplish something. They had a special group. Um with Trace Jackson Davis and company, and now it's a little bit of a different situation. They're kind of like a question mark team. Um, but still, um, even in their dark years, they've been able to pack that arena. Um, so I'd, I'd love to see Assembly Hall. And then um, on top of that, I would really like to see uh, Providence. Um, the AMP. Yeah, formerly the, the Dunk. dunk. Um, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, the dunk has been one of the best um, home courts in college basketball in the last couple of years, and I think it's really amazing when you look at their few losses that it came out. Two of the three in the past three seasons have been when Cooley was pretty much on his way out and headed to Georgetown. Um, that's when right. the rumors started circulating. Those few losses came through. Um, so I, I think that's really a testament to how good that arena's been. Um, and I'm really yeah. looking forward to hopefully seeing it in the next couple of years. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think those are good 
good couple to put on the list there. Um, <clears throat> in terms of underrated home court advantages, one that I've always loved to see, and this is kind of tough to say as a, you know, again, adjacent distanced Michigan fan, but, you know, still one nonetheless. Uh, Michigan State, the, the, the is zone there in the Breslin Center, the way it wraps around the court, um, that's how it should be. The, the, the students should be closest to the game. They make the most impact. They're always the most involved in the game. Uh, and they do that appropriately, and I think they're in a good spot. So I lo- always love that one. Man, when they do that wide out, it looks sweet. Um, so huge fan of that one uh, when it's popping. Um, and then I would also like to kind of shout out um, Pitt from back in the day. Like, and you'll know this as well as anyone. I mean, you were up in, in Youngstown, you know, around that time when, when Pitt was, you know, a, a perennial top five team with, with Jamie Dixon year in and year out. Um the Oakland Zoo, like, that student section is awesome. Like, I'll never forget. I think, help me here, if if you remember, did they bring in UConn or Syracuse and they pit started the game on, like, a 20-0 run or something just ridiculous? And I remember it. I was quite a bit younger, obviously, but I think it was, like, an afternoon game on CBS, and that place was just going absolutely bananas. Um, so would love to see, uh, I think it's, officially called the Peterson Events Center. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to see that place get rolling again uh, and be popular. And I just love – listen, student sections behind the basket are sweet, and they, they do the they do the job. But when you can put them on a side, it, it really is fun for me, and, and that kind of leads me into bucket list. I got to get to the kennel soon enough. I mean, it's hard because you don't get a ton of, like, really headliner games there because no one wants to go and play there of quality – which is fair, and it makes complete sense why you wouldn't. Um, but I need to go see that one. Um, would love to go see a quality game there at the Kennel and see that place rocking. And then another one uh, is right here in the Midwest, Gallagher-Iba Arena down in Oklahoma State. I've heard that that place is built like just straight up uh, out of the ground, and I know that that place is as, as tough as any in the Big 12 to go into and get a win, again, when they're at their best. Right now they've kind of had a, a weird stretch of some not-so-great um, years for Oklahoma State relative to the Big 12 expectations, uh, but I do know that that's a that's a great spot to see a game. So those two are kind of the ones on my short list, as well as of course you know I mean you kind of stole a couple of mine. Mackey and Assembly being so close to where we're at in Cincinnati are also obviously on the short list as well. So um, moving on, speaking of kind of staying out you know Midwest and and kind of in towards the the western half of the U.S., um, we had a. Uh, a listener uh, write in. They want to know about Mountain West contenders. Obviously, there's a lot of teams um, kind of at the top right now, um, you know, with good records. Uh, you know, obviously Colorado State kind of the headliner uh, right now with the with the big win over Creighton. Um, but there's also obviously uh, you got Utah State's up there. They're sitting at 12 and one. Nevada's 12 and one. New Mexico's 11 and one. San Diego State ten and two, but they probably had the highest expectations preseason. Um, and then obviously don't you know count out you know Boise State sitting there at eight and four. Of those teams, Graham, who are kind of your favorites out of those? Um, who do you really like? And uh, are we going to have some you know despite the death of the back twelve this year, uh, are we still going to have some some worthy West Coast nightcaps to tune into uh, later this season? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that. Um, the Mountain West is really going to be a battle this year, and I, I, 
I was really, you know, looking at it when I was surprised that um, Oregon State and Washington State would be joining the West Coast Conference. We talked about this last yeah. week. Um, so I've been kind of, you know, paying attention to it. And I think that it's almost a way of ducking what the Mountain West is slowly becoming. Um, I mean, they have five, I'd say, really good tournament quality teams right now. Um but the problem that presents itself with these smaller conferences is that not everyone's going to finish out on top. And, uh, you know, if you have a bid stealer or uh, one of these teams, you know, kind of falls apart towards the end of the season. Um, yeah, I think one of those five teams that we already talked about might get dropped out of a tournament, which is just kind of the unfortunate uh, state of, um, you know, the field. But with that being said, I think a team that I'm really eyeing is what New Mexico can do. Um, I was going to mention them in the home court advantage because I'd love to see the pit. I think that's just such a you know cool way. I for, love the pit. Cool way for an arena to be designed, um, and I think that um, Coach Patino um, really has the opportunity to cement himself um, and. We could talk about it a little bit, you know, maybe with some coaching um, hot seat talk later in the episode. But in terms of um, making a jump, I could see Coach Bertino making a jump, um, especially if this New Mexico team is able to pan out. And then secondly, um, I'm really high on Nevada this year. Um, They've really taken care of business. I think that they're a really talented team. And um, Steve Alford is a former... um, He's been, uh, he was the assistant and coach at UCLA before this, and now he's at Nevada. And, you know, former NBA player, he's been around for a long time. Um, and I think that he has a Muscleman esque jump. Um, yeah, with, love that. With his, you know, vast coaching um, history at many different levels and many different places that, Similar to Musselman, you know, how he had some NBA and some college experience as well as playing. Um, I think that Steve Alford can make a Musselman-esque jump, and due to his ability, that's why I have him and Nevada circled as my contender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll roll with you on New Mexico, Um, you know, for a lot of the same reasons. Obviously, Patino, you trust in that. I set up there a lot. but the other one I really want to, uh, you know, focus in on is first of all, shout out to one of the best names in college basketball coaching, Danny Sprinkle, um, down there at Utah State, uh, really getting settled. Um, he's in year, uh, he's in year, is this year one? Gosh, it is. Holy cow! I, I knew it was. I knew it was recent. I thought it was, I thought we were at least in year two. Um, but no, this is uh, this is year one. He's coming from Montana State, of course, leading them to uh, back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances, of course. Um, as we remember the Bob, Bobcats uh, getting in through that Big Sky Championship the last couple of years. Um, I'm loving Utah State right now. And again, back to the home court advantages and just fun stuff to watch late at night. Um, you know, kind of as you're winding your weekends down or your weekdays down uh, with some West Coast nightcap action. Utah State's arena, like nothing super awesome, but I've heard that the atmosphere is just unbelievable. 
Um, the student sections really rally, uh, and the place gets super loud and uh, intimidating for opposing teams to come in. So I think, I mean, between Colorado State, New Mexico, Nevada, and uh, Utah State, I think between those four, obviously San Diego State's going to be in the conversation. Um, Brian Dutcher's obviously going to have his team in the conversation there. Um, between those four, I think you have a phenomenal race shaping up there in the Mountain West and cannot wait to see uh, kind of how those, especially those top four, top five, really shake out. So, um, And like you said, Graham, let's roll, roll into some, some hot seat talk. Um, obviously, Louisville, I think, is the the big one that everyone's kind of got circled right now. Um, Kenny Payne over at Louisville, I, I honestly don't really understand how he still has a job. I can't believe they haven't fired him yet. Um, you know, we're now a couple days past Christmas. I, I, like, I think it is time. Um, and not even because it's time because you can't continue to lose games because I think you got to kind of just chalk it up this year for Louisville. Like, get, you're not going to win that many games this year. That's fine. You need to start looking for another coach. You need to be the first high major team in that market because otherwise if you you know continue to just hang around uh and wait some of these other guys might start getting calls like we were talking about with some of these mountain west guys some of the other younger coaches out there um of course dusty may's name is going to be one that just just continually brought up because of what he's done with florida atlantic um yeah so i just think that you know you've you have to if you're louisville make this move now because it is time. Like we all know that it's time. We all agree that it's time. Um, and you can't let someone else get to your number one candidate just because you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, you know, hoping, Oh, maybe this thing will flip. Cause we all know it's not. We all know that Kenny Payne, while he seems like just the absolute most, you know, salt to the earth, nicest guy. I, uh, this just, this wasn't the job for him and it's unfortunate. And he is a university. I don't want to say legend, but he's, well-known and definitely well-respected at the university. Uh, and despite all that, it, it's time. It's time to it's time to pull the plug. Um, and so we're just waiting on that news. I'm sure it'll come uh, within the next... I mean, I was saying this week, I, I can't believe we haven't heard it yet. So, anywho, um, outside of that, I've got a couple more on my list uh, right now that are kind of popping off. Obviously, Michigan, the Juwan Howard situation is ever-evolving. It looks like he's now back in a full-time head position role. Um, but again, that strength coach still not traveling. We haven't really heard a final decision on that confrontation that, uh, was reported on, excuse me, um, that confrontation that was reported on a couple of weeks back. Um, and then you also have Florida state Leonard Hamilton again, like, yes, we all want him to go out on top, but it really looks like that's not going to be the case. So how do you politely ask him to leave? Because obviously you you don't want to fire him as you know as a Florida State athletic department with how important he's been to the program, uh, but definitely kind of getting the time. So Graham, outside of those two or really those three, obviously add any takes you'd like, but also any other big kind of jobs that are circling right now with a little bit of a hot seat update. I think that the DePaul one is the most um, obvious. Um, just because the Louisville situation, it seems like they really like him and like the boosters like him and they just are trying to figure out how you can get wins in the win column. The DePaul one seems the most obvious to me because they've been a laughing stock for a long time now. Um, and you're in Chicago, like the opportunity should be there. You have a new are- newer arena. Um, I'm amazed that Stubblefield... Um, has made it this long into the season because it's been an absolute catastrophe. 
Um, and I think yeah. that um, my pick, you know, if I could predict the future, is that um, Patino's son, Richard, takes the job um, next summer. I think that that's a perfect fit wow. because he would want to, you know, get his son into the Big East and what a good way. And, like, that's such a good, you know, step-up job because if you do anything with that team, you, you know... If you get like seventh in the Big East, like that's saying something because they've been so poor for so long. Another name that um, probably not with the DePaul job, but just circling around at all would be Chris Mack. Um, yeah, I mean, what <laughs> he he really had a tough situation at Louisville. Louisville um, really, I think, gave up on him too quick, and now he's left in you know that awkward stage of like. If he again comes back to coaching, is it a Louisville level job? Meaning, like you know, where, you know where I could, you know it? where I could maybe, you know where I could maybe see him. Maybe this is a little bit too much of a jump. Like, what if Holtman gets canned up, up at Ohio State? Yeah, it, the Ohio State situation is very similar to um, Michigan, in my opinion. That yeah, you've had success, but you've also had some pretty low moments. Um, mm-hmm. Holtman's has come from coaching, not, you know, punching people, but <laughs> you've been able to recruit, you've been able to get, you know, some of the best classes that they've seen, but you've had some flare outs and I think that Holtman has one or two years left and that Ohio state job really would be a coveted job in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, as it should be. And I think a guy like, uh, I think a lot of the guys that made moves in the past two years, um, like Danny Sprinkle, like Ryan Odom, um, yeah, come to mind on who could take like an Ohio State or Michigan job, um, because the Howard and Holtman and Kenny Payne, Stubblefield, they probably have like at least the end of the season, maybe the next two seasons, and by that, mm-hmm. some of these younger guys would be ready to take the reins, um. I was just thinking about this myself, but it is really cool that once you start paying attention to college basketball more, um, some of these older coaches, you know, you look at their resume and it's like, oh yeah, they started out at this school, whatever. Um, It's really interesting to think about how like we are seeing that, you know, yeah, that Patino starting out at Boston University, like could be the same thing as Ryan Odom starting out at you know, Lenore Ryan and UMBC. Um, right. And it's really cool that, you know, some of these jobs are kind of starting to st- take shape. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just a couple, I mean, just looking at the betting market simply, um, a couple other names that are kind of hot seat adjacent, Ben Johnson up at Minnesota, um, Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. We talked about that one a little bit before the show. Mike Hopkins at Washington seemingly looks like he's kind of, I mean, so far played himself into a pretty good position. Uh, Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska, I would be in on that one. Uh, time time to pack it up, the mayor. Sad, sad to say that. Sad to see him, you know, probably uh, look like he's going. Um, but, yeah, Hoiberg just hasn't gotten it going with a fairly talented team, I would say, this year. Um, excuse me again. Um and then Jared Haas is another one at Stanford that, that is looking to be kind of on the hot seat. A couple of replacements that are kind of available at those levels. 
Leon Rice from Boise State, of course, he's had a couple successful seasons there. You know, will Greg McDermott make a move? We kind of talked about this before. I don't necessarily know that Creighton would fire him necessarily, but McDermott's kind of getting to that point where it's like, eh, like, are you really, like, getting things going? Is You know, have you kind of hit your ceiling with Creighton? Who knows? Does he want to take an Ohio State-type job? or a Lu- I mean, God, I would hope he wouldn't take a Louisville-type job, but, you know, that kind of uh, high major job, maybe a Michigan job possibly. Um, Mark Pope at BYU, will he make the step up? He seems to have that program rolling. Um, you know, will Randy Bennett ever move from St. Mary's? Who knows? Um, Craig Smith down to Utah, that's another one. You kind of see him making a step up shortly. And then another name, I've seen this a couple times now. Back to Louisville. Wes Miller. Really? Like, I just don't see what Louisville could possibly see in him that would be worth making that kind of move. Um, and, and Graham, please correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm missing anything, but I just don't see what would be in it there for really for either side. No, I think that West Miller really has to establish himself as a good coach at the next level. And mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, he very well has the opportunity to. Like, if UC is able to do something crazy in the Big 12, like, Absolutely. you know, maybe you trust him. But I feel like, you know, this is now his third year of just kind of being average in the American. I don't think that really warrants, you know, a move up, especially to a Louisville team that's been struggling for so long that really wants to get back to where it used to be. Yeah. No, absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more there. Um, all right, well, let's move into a little bit more on, just kind of on the state of college hoops uh, generally. Uh, this was a good, another good point brought up by – one of our listeners. Um, so the state of college hoops would, in Graham, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but a really interesting note to kind of see with all of these kind of early season non-con upsets, um, seemingly the transfer portal has kind of equalized and, and leveled a lot and kind of closed that gap on a lot of these, um, you know, from a lot of these high major to the mid-major teams and even mid-major, low-major. I mean, we saw that with, you know, um, Chicago State getting a couple big wins and, you know, some other smaller schools getting some big and notable wins that were making a lot of noise. So, um, you know, kind of on that note, and I think one other thing I would just want to add to that before we, we move on is uh, I, even I had an experience with this today, um, just as kind of a, a secondary thing, but transfers are moving so quickly that we went from, at least here for, for you know the perspective of a Kansas Jayhawks fan, that team went from someone that I could name almost everyone on the roster, um, you know, with MJ Rice and with Zuby Ejafor and you know uh, Joseph Yesifu and um, Ernest Dude and all these guys that are you know Bobby Pettiford that are quality quality players, good role players, um, but instead of hanging around and filling a very important role for this team, uh, they had they decided to transfer elsewhere and get and gather more minutes, which I don't blame them, and I never I never will. I, I don't I completely understand. You know you can you can pretty much make any reasoning or any case to me, and I will see it as valid for why you would transfer a first or even a second time. Um, but just clearly, like it has lessened the value of depth for a lot of the top teams while also 
raising the abilities of kind of the mid-major or maybe low high major teams um you know where where you're kind of spreading out a lot of this talent into starting fives as opposed to just simply you know spreading them out through rotation spots on some high major teams so um graham do you, i guess do you have any thoughts kind of on that similarly have you seen that have you experienced that this year um, and what are your thoughts on you know it, it continuing going forward even with all the conference change changes realignments and and so on? Yeah, I think the transfer portal and NIL is really given the opportunity for um, a lot more parity in college basketball amongst you know from within the conference to also um, you know the smaller schools being able to compete with um you know, the upper schools, like I felt like in when I was growing up and watching college basketball and e- even in early high school, you know, if if a team lost a bye game, like that was like otherworldly. Like you just like didn't hear of that. Like, yeah, absolutely. I specifically remember like I think Kentucky lost to Evansville sometime in high school. And that was like, yes, yes, I remember this game. And Evansville was so bad. Too. And that was like one of the craziest thing that's ever happened. Like they talked about that for like a week and a half. And now like, you know, teams lose by games like regularly. And yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that by game term is kind of, you know, stretched its value a little bit because. Your buy games now are um, teams that you know have like a. I mean, look at look at Oakland for example. Like they have a Michigan State transfer, a point guard, and multiple super seniors. Um, whereas you know that used yeah. to be a team of the guys that weren't good enough to play anywhere else, and right. Um, and I I really think that you know having new transfer rules and eligibility, you know, um, differences. Constraints. Yeah. And I think that's really given a lot of schools opportunities to compete. And at the end of the day, you want the best sports product to be on the court. And if, you know, transfer rules and eligibility restrictions and new freedoms are the way to go, then I'm, I'm a huge component, um, huge fan of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Couldn't could not agree more with you on that, and, and definitely being a huge fan of it. I think it's obviously a, a largely a positive, um, and it's just made it's honestly it's made the first half of the season more entertaining, if nothing else. So, um, all right. Well, another take that this is kind of something that I had, um, but it's just kind of a general thing, obviously for us Big East fans, Big East followers. Um, is the Big East kind of becoming the new Big Twelve? I mean, the Big Twelve got this rep over the last six to eight years of just consistently beating the crap out of each other, you know, getting to March. Every team's got four or five conference losses, even your champion. Um, Is the Big East kind of becoming that? Because I could definitely see it. You know, the Big 12 is falling out of it a little bit just because you're picking up a lot more depth um, and, you know, subsequently more, you know, a couple more easier wins uh, for some of these teams. Um where the Big East is not, and they're actually just getting better kind of through and through. So, Graham, you're the man on the front lines. Do you agree with this take? Do you see the Big East continuing to be solid all the way through, or will it eventually kind of even out? Yeah, I think that um, the Big East kind of becoming like a new Big 12 is a great 
um, example because you look at, you know, the the Big 12 from, I mean, the Big East from top to bottom, like, other than DePaul, every team has something to show for it, whether, it, you know, it's a great home court or with St. John's and Georgetown having great coaches, um, you know, like, in addition to what they had in the past, like every every game is going to be a battle. Um, when you look at, you know, I saw something on Twitter the other day that out of the 12, at the time, the 12 Big East games that happened, the home teams were 8-2, and two, and the two losses yeah. being to Villanova, and that Villanova team is the team that, you know, lost three quad three games this year, and they have a newer coach, and you don't really know what to think about them, and those are the two teams... I mean, th- that was the one team that was able to win games on the road. Um, right. I think it it's going to be such an interesting um, season on how it unfolds. And I really hope that, um, you know, the when it comes down to, you know, the selection committee and looking at these teams in March, that the whole body of work is respected that this the Big East season is going to be a war from start to finish. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I do think that there needs to be perspective and that, you know, these games are very, very difficult, um, you know, on, on the road, uh, and, and even the home ones as well, even as favorites, um, you know, it's, it, it can, these games are, are n- none of them are gimmies. I mean, we saw this last year even with, you know, maybe a slightly better and, and different DePaul team. But, you, you know, as a Xavier team, you roll in as a number eight team in the country and you lose a, a, an, an away game to a, a much inferior DePaul team. Um, same thing with Butler last year. So, obviously, none of these games are going to be easy or buy or any sort of giveaways. Um you know, obviously, of course, as we just get, you know, finished talking about, uh, you know, how Tony Stubblefield's on the hot seat and things like that. But seriously, I mean, it's there's not an easy game. There's not a bye game, nothing like that. And I think the Big 12 has sort of added a couple of those um, UCF, namely Cincinnati might be in danger of being in that category as well. Um, you know, BYU was supposed to be there showing some signs of life. But at the same time, Oklahoma State, TCU kind of falling down a little bit. So who knows? I mean, there there's obviously a lot to you know that we're yet to see uh, with this season. But overall, definitely uh, something to to keep an eye on. And and basically, I I think the biggest thing I I'm trying to kind of you know convey here is if you are bored, you know, at home, you're finishing up work, you're you know getting home, or you're out to grab a quick bite and you see a game on. If it is any kind of Big East play, I promise you, tune in, you know, lock it in. It's going to be, and you're, and you're just a fan of college basketball generally, um, tune in. It's going to be a good one. I, I feel like almost nearly every game is going to be, you know, it's going to be NFL style where spreads don't get too crazy, you know, wild one way or another. I think it's going to be really tight most games throughout this whole season. So can't wait to see that. Um, and, and on that note of of the Big East and really some big improvement, um, from last year to this, Butler, I think has been, you know, and we can, we can talk more about this, you know, as we move on. Um, but Graham, I want to hear from you as well. Um, would you agree with me? Is, is Butler maybe the shock team of the, of the season so far for, um, for the big East?
Yo. Yep. All right. Well, we can just roll without those fucking headphones. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I need to mark like thirty-nine minutes. Just keep it. Just keep it rolling, will you? Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. The the fact that um, this Butler team it. has been able to you know hang around in these big games and. Um, start the season off okay. so strong. All right. Um, after, basically, I was saying, uh, um, hit me with most of the off season. Um, would you? I just would really you agree to, that you know, uh, Butler has been the biggest have a really good the so idea of what they're going to be able to do this season. Um, similarly to St. John's and Xavier, it was a pretty much entirely new team. Um, and the fact that you know they were able to start off so well. Um, and there are a few losses being, you know, to pretty great teams like Florida Atlantic um, and now Providence. Really should give Butler fans a lot of hope for what Thad Mata is going to be able to do this season. Um, they really, I think, um, did not take care of business against Providence because there was definitely points in that game where they looked like they deserved to come out of that arena with a win. Um and I'm kind of shocked that they didn't. Yeah, um, that game was that, that game was insane. Back Butler to what Providence I was just saying game, about I how good the Big East is going to be this year. I mean, a good it, taste that game test was insane. I mean, what the Big East Providence comes out, because kicks them in the face, up twenty to nothing. They fight all the way back. Game, really look like they're going to win the game. It comes down to Providence, Providence forces overtime, and then they, they ride that momentum um, and the you know, hyping up the crowd into a great win in overtime. I mean, just unbelievable. Three late. Um. And then Providence completely rides that momentum going into overtime, winning the overtime quarter sixteen to six, which is just insane. Yeah. Foul up three, foul up three late. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, before we wrap it here, we got to talk Muskie. Speaking of last Saturday, um, that was the first game of a quadruple header on Fox for some Big East hoops last week, which was kind of fun. Um, so obviously that was the that was the lead-in game into our game in Cincinnati. Graham, you were there. I'm sure the atmosphere was yeah, a little bleak. I mean, you know, break game, kind of a tough atmosphere. You're coming off of a not great showing against uh, yeah, St. John's. Mean, Going into in the week, seeing the whole game, um, what was the vibe really going in, and then obviously, what was the feeling coming out after a really great uh, win that, for Xavier, uh, a big the result, a big, uh, excuse me, big time win Xavier over a, a seemingly solid Seton Hall team that had just in upset the arena uh, number six Utah uh, I mean, week. Completely I mean, took like a true, game a true Mongolian reversal and there then, for the in the second half. You know, started off a little bit shaky, but then we were able to you know just out physical them, beat them to the spot, and you know. Seemed to, you know, get the right pass to the right shot every possession. I mean, that was the definitive great team win. 
Um, Quincy continues to show that he's one of the best scorers in the Big East. Um, another unbelievable performance. But I think that the main storyline for me is um, Abu Usman. Um, there's been a lot of talk about him and his and his ability, and for him, you know, to answer the bell at home, defend his home court with sixteen and ten, was really um, a sight a sight to see, and gives it should give a lot of Xavier fans hope for the rest of the season, knowing that um, the main core of these guys can really the, answer the bell. Um, yes. when a tough game comes and that we're going to be able to defend home court. That's the way that I took this game as is that who knows what, you know, an inexperienced team's going to be able to do on the road in the Big East. It's going to be very difficult, but you know, that game and the Houston game, win, lose or draw are really what is giving me a lot of hope for the Big East because when a good team comes into Cintas, um, you know that we can, you know, perform perform to our best ability and really defend home court because that's going to be the key for us if we want to have any postseason aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think uh, I'll kind of back you up on the Abu uh, conversation, but also Davion McKnight just playing out of his mind was made me so happy. I was so excited to see that. 15 points, 10 assists as well. His assist-to-turnover ratio right now is 3.5 to 1. That is unbelievable. One of the best rates there in the country. Um, would love to see him continue to fill that, like, you don't have to be the leading scorer kind of role, but you're still going to supplement with double digits, you know, majority evenings, um, and also being able to dish out some assists as well. Just so happy to see that for him. I really love his play style. I love his, um, I love his physique, his kind of build. I, I really want to see him play, play well into the best of his yeah, abilities because I, mean, I know he has it in him. So um, this is a um, great obviously way, hope that you that know, continues for him. The break, and then real hang, quick last thing, Graham, is it you feel that this um, kind of gives it's only going to get the Musketeers a model of. You know, the a good, game to, good thing to look at and that, pull from, um, and for you know, Coach Miller to go back and say, know, "Hey, it gives you a little bit is, more you know, Remember freedom. how we did this? You know, you're not going to be playing with your backs against the you know, wall. How our attitude was, or you know, how our play style was. Those kind of things is kind of a model going forward in conference But what a way, you know, to test this this team's ability to continue with going at Villanova, which has been a very difficult spot for Xavier to play. Um, it took one of the best teams we've seen in recent memory at Xavier to get a win at the Pavilion and then having to defend home court again, but this time against what will be a top five UConn team. Um, yeah, uh, really um, yeah, will be a good opportunity for Xavier to really show what what the season is going to look like. Is it going to be the mm-hmm. team that got completely flustered by St. John's, or is it going to be the team that completely embarrassed Seton Hall um, this past weekend? Yeah. Defending national champs, may I add.
Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. I mean, I going back to it, Graham, you and I agreed. We needed two out of four, and we're still on track. We got that got that first big one against UC. Um, unfortunate loss to Houston. Uh, but now you got two more opportunities here. And, you know, if you get one for sure, you feel good about it. Man, if you get two, you can almost maybe forget about one of those early season losses, that, that Oakland or that Delaware one. You can maybe start to ignore those. So um, big stakes here on the table. Uh, for the Musketeers, um, we will talk to you again. Is that that's next Wednesday, correct? The third, yes, it is. So that's a week from today. As we're recording this, I probably won't get this up till tomorrow morning. So Thursday, the twenty eighth, this will be up for you and available. We'll uh, have that game next Wednesday, uh, and then depending on uh, you know everyone's travel schedule and things like that, we'll probably try and get back at you after that Xavier game. So be ready, be locked in January. Third, uh, that's a Wednesday. Uh, I think it's a 7:30 Central tip, right? So 8:30 Eastern for Eastern mm, time mm, listeners. Mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, be ready to go. It's going to be a big one, uh, and we'll see if this team can continue to roll after a little bit of a lengthy break here for the boys. So, um, anywho, thank you all as always for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Hope you all had a great holiday season. Uh, new year coming up, so have a good, happy New Year, um, and we'll talk to you. Uh, uh, next year, as they say, you know, just throwing in little dad jokes and puns here left and right. I know. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We'll get going. Let's get you out of here. Um, and thank you all again so much for listening. Uh, here the Norwood Noise Podcast, Evan Shibble, Graham Griffith. We'll talk to you again real, real soon. See ya.